This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP, the federal leader in retirement planning seminars sponsored by WEPA. Join NITP for an hour of plain talk on planning your future. You've got questions, they've got answers. Welcome to the July 31st, 2023 For Your Benefit radio show. I am Bob Lines, and I'm happy that we have two guests today, David DeJong, Principal, and Sarah Broder, Senior Associate, Stein, Sperling, Bennett, DeJong, Driscoll, PC, law firm in Rockville, Maryland, but have tentacles way outside of Rockville, Maryland. Good morning. Good morning, morning. Bob. All right. Great to have you. I've got my um, notepad out here and the like, and we've got um, a lot of questions um, and some email questions. So if we start off, let's start off on this list of the questions that are to be asked. What actually is Secure 2.0 and how did it get that kind of different name? Well, Secure stands for setting every community up for retirement enhancement. I won't claim to have memorized the full name. We know it in the uh, tax arena as the SECURE Act. Now, the original SECURE Act was enacted at the end of 2019, and it had a number of major changes, including increasing the age where mandatory distributions must commence in most, but not all cases, from 70 and a half to 72. Secure Act 2.0, it sounds like a college course. The original Secure Act could have been called Secure 1.0. Secure 2.0 is an update to the legislation the original legislation. Bob, it has over a hundred provisions in it affecting retirement plans. And one of the most uh, visible is the further increase from age 72 to age 73, when you must start taking from your TSA and most other uh, retirement plans. That's scheduled to go in a decade all the way to age 75. Okay, when will this age 75 kick in? Is it gonna be a year from now, two years from now, or is it right now? No, it kicks in in the mid 2030s. But interestingly, (laughs) The legislative history calls for it to go up to age 74, I believe, in 2028, but it got left out of the act itself. So we'll have to see if there's a technical correction that takes it to 74 in about five years before it goes to age 75 in another five years. This happens quite often with legislation, especially if it's rushed, that something that was designed to be included in the legislation gets left out of the actual act. Really? So, you know, the the, the word secure, it sounds kind of nice for a retirement plan, but where did where did where did they come up with secure? Yeah, and I think that that is not the best name because there are a number of provisions in Secure 2.0, as in the predecessor act, that make retirement uh, comfort, financial comfort, a little less secure. And I know you're going to want to go into some of them today. Some provisions are very beneficial to the average retiree and others not so. Okay. And there's, um, you were kind enough to send in 
several a lot of a lot of different questions to be asked so why don't we if it's all right can we start with that sure okay so secure act 2 of 2022 is part of a public law and it allows police firefighters parademics emergency medical technicians to continue to exclude service con connected disability payments for income after reaching retirement age 2027. So what does all yeah. that mean? <laughs> that was one of a couple of provisions that had nothing to do with uh, retirement plans per se. The other one is uh, deals with defects and conservation easements. So sometimes legislators slip in provisions that are unrelated to the primary purpose of legislation. Okay. And then the, the second bullet point here, it allows certain defects in conservation easements to correct the contributions made after. December 29, 2022. So, so we're in good shape there. We're in good shape there. Okay. All right. Then we got the next slide that says requires, requires most employers to automatically enroll participants in new 401k plans with 3% deferral upon eligibility effective 20 25. Right now, Bob, when somebody comes to work for a company that has a 401k plan or other plan with elective deferrals, you are asked if you want to make elective deferrals uh, beginning in 2025 for those plans created uh, essentially in 2023 and beyond, you will have a default uh, 3% elective deferral. So you will automatically be signed up when you're eligible for a 3% taken out of your paycheck in the form of an elective deferral. And you can increase it or you can decrease it, or you can opt out to, altogether, but they want to encourage people to um, participate. So the default is going to be a 3% elective deferral, and it goes up 1% per year until it hits 10%. Now, again, a lot of people who can't afford this much of an elective deferral will cut it back or even eliminate it but it's a very interesting provision so it's it's so it's automatic unless you say no it's automatic unless you say no uh beginning in 2025 but it goes back two years for new employees in a plan that was created in 2023 or 2024. This legislation has a lot of provisions that employers are going to have to learn about. Some of the provisions uh, they can choose to opt out of. And this has made the retirement plan law so much more uh, complex. It was designed for flexibility and maximum uh, worker savings, but boy, has it gotten complex. Okay. So are we good to go with this line? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All righty. Okay. Increases. Um, credit effectively 2023 so the credit we're talking about here is what increases the credit effective 2023 tax years 
for small employer plans. So this is not necessarily the employee, this is the employer. Right. So um, this is an employer. This is a one other incentive for small employers. It gives them a credit, which now I believe before Secure 2.0 was a 50% credit for the first $5,000 of costs um, to set up a retirement plan for the employer within the first three years. Um, and now it's going to be 100% for small employers that have fewer than 50 employees or 50 employees or fewer. Um, and then there's an additional credit as well um, that is a percentage of the employer contributions to the employee accounts, and that's up to $1,000 per employee. Um, but that additional credit does get phased out for larger small employers, so 50 to 100 employees. So, so the credit would be a tax in, incentive, right? Yes. To put money in and then you get a credit, which is a long story short of saying it reduces your taxes if you do this. Uh, but it's just not anything. It's this specifically, right? Right. And it's just for small. It's really to encourage small employers to set up employee, um, employer-sponsored retirement and plan, plans for their employees. Okay. And, we, you know, the, the, the majority of the people that uh, listen and ask questions, you know, during the year are federal employees or retired federal employees so this um this would be interesting that you know i don't know how many people know this on that side you know we try to educate but you know unfortunately we don't have the uh, key to doing 100 percent of the webinars for the federal government <laughs> <laughs> nor could we but way too many all righty so uh, the act also replaces the non-refundable credit all right. So if somebody hears the term credit, that's kind of like a reduction of taxes uh, for lower income individuals who make contributions to retirement plans. IRAs, ABLE accounts. We'll talk about what an ABLE account is after I, I, I read the rest of this. Effective 2027 with a federal match of 50 percent of the retirement plan or IRA contributions up to two thousand dollars. It's pretty nice. Yeah. So um, this it, it's replacing. So the credit was basically a, a refund um, that a, a taxpayer would get and it's cash. And instead, now we're going to have a federal match contribution to an um, individual's, you know, retirement account to so their IRA. Um, and it's going to be 50 percent of their of the participants contributions up to $2,000 per individual. So instead of giving cash out, they're just, it's another incentive to save for retirement. But it does get, you know, it's for low income taxpayers. So it is gonna get phased out pretty quickly. Yeah, and, and I would say the, the majority of the listeners, not all of them, uh, are in the in the latter quarter of their career. So their, you know, their income is a bit much than what it was five years ago, 10 years, and certainly, 20 years ago. Um, and I find them as kind of an, uh, uh, an uh, astute planners. Um, they have the sense to ask questions rather than, gee, I don't understand that. And, you know, the questions will come in at, at various levels. And, you know, they, um, they get good tutelage from the TSP. You know, they have TSP webinars. They have um, uh, slides that... Um, go up and go up uh, when they do presentations. We do too. But anyway, um, so much for that one. Let's go to the next slide and we'll talk about allows multiple employers 403B plans effective 2023. What's a 403B plan? <laughs> 403B plan is one that is created by a tax exempt organization and by a public school system and it allows a group of smaller employers to join together to make administration more efficient that, that's good because you know the the, <clears throat> the listening group that work for the feds um might say that's nice but the listening group also <clears throat> uh, covers a lot of people that are married so there's a couple now not all marriages have both spouses working but it's you know it's a greater trend today 
and it would be nice for them <clears throat> to know this. And we, we do mention it with the uh, webinars that we do, but we don't, uh, unfortunately, we don't do the entire uh, population of federal employment, but we're getting there. <laughs> All right, so next slide. The required beginning date, as I mentioned, for retirement plans is up to age 73. For those who would not hit age 72 by the end of last year, uh, the, uh, there are a couple of major exceptions. Number one, is of course in the case of a Roth IRA and as a result of this legislation, a Roth 401k as well. Uh, but also if you've gone to work for a private employer and you are not a 5% or greater owner of that company, you don't have to take until you begin, uh, until you terminate employment. And if you roll other monies over into that employer plan, apparently those monies do not need to be taken in the form of a minimum distribution, either commencing at age 73. So this allows people who continue to work even on a part-time basis. Okay, let's take a look at the next slide. <clears throat> and it starts out by saying, treats student loan repayments of higher education expenses as if they were elective deferrals, in other words, reducing one's taxes for purposes of employer matches effective 2024. Discrimination. Right. Yeah. Okay. Go. Sorry. Um, so this is another uh, provision in the act that's trying to get people to participate in their retirement and save for retirement. So it acknowledges that uh, certain, you know, younger workers have the choice between paying back their student loans and contributing to retirement plans, but they don't necessarily have the available income to do both. So this treats a student loan repayment as a, you know, for purposes of matching by the employer, it treats it as a contribution to an employer sponsored retirement plan so that the um, employee who's making the student loan payments can self-certify to their employer, you know, I am making my student loan payments, here's how much I contributed, and then that qualifies them for matching from their employer to their retirement account, um, which is, I think, an interesting provision, you know, obviously geared towards younger taxpayers. Okay, and the last comment on this uh, focuses more on people that have a side business rather than uh, rather than the TSP. So it gives a general business tax credit for 2023 of up to $500 per eligible non-highly compensated employee. So this might be somebody that retires as a Fed and starts a small business. Now, the small business probably isn't filled with um, full-time employees, but this provision does allow some benefits. This provision is is geared towards employing uh, military spouses. So, you know, the idea is that military spouses are generally required to move every three years uh, due to their spouse's employment. And so they are rarely at an employer long enough to be eligible to contribute to their employer sponsored retirement plan. So this gives a business tax credit to the employer. Um, of up to $500 per employee. And as you noted, it's a non-highly non compensated employee. And um, that's for making military spouses almost immediately eligible to participate in the retirement accounts at the employer and matching and things like that. Um, because like I said, otherwise they would have to wait maybe two years and then they would only have a year to save before they would have to move again. And so this just helps military spouses build up their own individual retirement accounts as well. Okay, so um, with that, 
uh, uh, spouse of a federal employee, would they be able to uh, put in a lot? In other words, do they have to take out what it would be for a full-time worker? Or let's say they're making half the wage, they're getting a wage, but it's half what a full-time would be. Can they participate even though their income's a lot less? So this is really a, a tax credit geared towards the employer and um, yep. not changing the contribution amounts for the employee. So it does make the military spouse, and it's not necessarily for part-time employees. It's just for employees that are spouses of active duty military um, and that are going to be required to move every three years. So just it enables the, the military spouse employee to contribute to their retirement account through their employer earlier than they would be otherwise eligible if they were a non-military spouse employee. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question because uh, in our presentations, um, <clears throat> I, I speak on income tax, somebody else will do financial planning, but all of it has, um, has an information piece and I'm not so sure everyone gets of course anybody that goes to any of our webinars or seminars would know this <laughs> so that's that, that's not a hustle <laughs> all righty so um so uh let me see i get so wrapped up in this and I, I don't think we've started with this slide yet but it raises the simple ira catch-up contribution at age 50 by 10 percent effective in 2024 and um Comments on that? So um, the catch-up, it's just another way the, the act actually addresses catch-up contributions in several different ways, but this is um, just one of the provisions to increase the ability to contribute uh, to a retirement account. Um, so catch-up contributions, I think for simple IRAs this year, $3,500 is the limit. Um, so this is gonna increase it by 10% effective in 2024 for small employers, um, 25 employees or fewer. Also, this could apply for small employers that have 26 to 100 employees, um, but that's only if the employer does a 4% match or um, does a non-elective or a, a non-elective contribution of 3% for all employees. So it's not automatic for the 26 to 100 employee size companies. Very good. Um, so what is more significant perhaps is a catch-up provision uh, related to employer plans, and I believe it applies as well to uh, TSP plans. Uh, in fact, I'm certain it does. Is the uh, extra catch-up that is coming into the law uh, in 2025, that is, Bob, if you're following in my outline point number nine uh, right now those individuals who participate in a 401k or 403b or tsp have a dollar limit and then there is an over 50 edition that is currently at 7500 dollars indexed those who turn age 60 to 63 within a year uh, in 2025 or later have an extra, extra contribution that they can do through elective deferral. It is 50% more than those who, in general who are over 50. So if this was in effect for 2023, instead of an extra $7,500, they would get an extra, I think my math is right, uh, well, add $3,750 to the $7,500, and they would be well over $30,000 in terms of what they can do. So an important provision taking effect in 2025. Very good. I think it's time to um, let everybody take a break.
So why don't we take 10 minutes? Is that okay, Andrew? Times have changed, but WEPA's mission remains the same, to promote the health, welfare, and financial well-being of civilian federal employees. WEPA offers group term life insurance to civilian federal employees with up to $1.5 million in coverage regardless of salary. As a WEPA member, you can access exclusive rates and benefits not available to the general public. How does this compare to Fegley? Unlike Fegley, WEPA's coverage amounts are not capped by your salary. WEPA will cover your family as well. For your children, WEPA offers double the benefits that Fegley offers. And for your spouse, WEPA offers 20 times more coverage than Fegley. 20 times more coverage! WEPA's coverage is also portable if you decide to leave the federal government or retire. You can even supplement or replace your existing policy. See how much you could save by visiting waepa.org today. Who do you trust when making your most important decisions? National Institute of Transition Planning has been the trusted source for federal retirement planning, serving new, mid-career, and pre-retirement federal employees for more than 30 years. NITP's subject matter experts bring more than 800 years of collective expertise on federal benefits, financial, transition, and estate planning. Visit NITPinc.com. That's NITPinc.com to sign up for their free monthly newsletter and information about free webinars. Are you at the mid-career stage of your federal career, or do you plan to retire in the next five years and wonder if you are prepared for retirement? No matter what career stage you are, it's never too early to dot the I's and cross the T's. NITP now offers online open enrollment training to help you understand your federal benefits package and financial planning options with tips and tools to plan and fine-tune your retirement planning goals. Visit NITPINC.com to download the current brochure and calendar. Okay, welcome back to the to the final leg of uh, today's show, and we have Dave Dijon, principal, and Sarah Broder, so senior associate at Stein Sperling Bennett Dijon Driscoll PC law firm. Uh, Dave and I work together probably longer than most people are of age, <laughs> so so. Fine organization. Anyway, where did we um, leave off? And I'm going to probably uh, cut through some of these slides because I'm never going to be able to do it in 25 minutes. So let's pick up where we left off and go forward. Uh, I think we left off with a discussion of the uh, special rules for those who are over age 50. Okay, and that was in uh, one stage uh, over age 60. Okay, so if we got that covered, um, then let's start with page six. Are we in sync with that? I think we are. So it talks about cuts from three to two years of wait period for participation in 401k plans. Um, which would be the same thing as a thrift, where the employee works 500, but not 1,000 hours a year, effective 2025 plan years. Part-time rule is extended to another type of plan, 403B, but I don't think we have any 403B listeners. Okay, Does, and I hope everybody understands that in the listening group. <laughs> Well, that's to give a benefit, Bob, to those who work perhaps seasonally in a particular business, don't hit the normal 1,000 hours per year for planned participation, but due to part-time or seasonal work, hit 500 hours year after year. And after two years, they will be eligible to do elective deferrals with the company. Example might be seasonal tax preparers for. Perfect example. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, so um, if we're squared away with that, we go to slide 12. And slide 12 says, and, and if I'm, I don't think I'm jumping, but I could be, liberalizes 
the ability of life annuities and qualified plans and IRAs to offer certain guaranteed increases effective 2022. So in a nutshell, what's the bullseye of that? Life annuities historically uh, are flat amounts that you get for the rest of your life and they can be offered by qualified plans and the IRAs of effective 2022. And I haven't worked with it since the legislation was enacted. There is the ability to put cost of living increases or small annual increases in lieu of cost of living to make an annuity more attractive. That's good. And then for the listeners, um, as a federal employee, when you retire, you don't get a pension. You get something called an annuity. So when Dave talks about, you know, the liberalizing um, ability of life annuities, it's really a funded pension plan, but not based on years in service with the federal government. This is how much money goes into a separate kitty. So I hope that's clear. Um, so I, I just stuck that comment in there for somebody that's going, what? <laughs> so last, the last bullet point in there allows overpayments to a retiree to be forgiven. If not, repayment over 10 years with no more than a 10% reduction in normal payments. What's that mean? That actually happens more than what you would think when a plan pays out too much and then you get a letter a year later saying we're sorry we paid you too much you have a repayment obligation of say thirty thousand dollars and they would demand it immediately this gives rights to a retiree on an overpayment that they can pay it back over 10 years or even longer if needed so that there would not be a greater than 10% reduction in their normal payments to accomplish the, the paying back. Okay. I'm going to go to slide 14. Um, there was nothing wrong with 13, but I think 14 is a little bit more punch. Upon guidance by December 29, 2024, allows more types of errors in retirement plans and IRA administration to be self-corrected. In other words, you can have it corrected, uh, preferably by a professional that understands this. Yeah. Indexes the $100,000 annual charitable donation. That's pretty high, but you know there are some over the years that we have as clients in their federal uh, retirees are actually federal employees. Anyway, um, so they can put up to $100,000 in an annual charitable donation from an IRA. This is effective 2024. And that's going to be indexed now uh, for uh, cost of living. And it's also going to allow um, what is very complex, the use of a charitable annuity in order to make the uh, donation from an IRA. We're typically talking about individuals with high income and in some cases, no children uh, who they wish to leave uh, money to. Okay, well put. I'm going to flip the page to page eight. So this eliminates the penalty on withdrawal of excess contributions to an IRA, including the deemed earnings retroactive for open periods. What does that mean? The historically, from the time you and I went into practice, Bob, there was a penalty uh, unless you got your excess contributions to an IRA out by the 
extended due date of the return, you're now going to be permitted without penalty to withdraw the excess amounts that you put into the plan. It was a recurring penalty that could come up every year unless it was corrected. And they got rid of that penalty. And another change in the penalty rules that we should make sure we talk about, and that is the reduction of the excise tax on failure to take a minimum distribution for, uh, again, as long as you and I remember the brutal penalty on failure to take the required minimum distribution now at age 73 um, was 50% of the amount that should have been taken. And if you're caught, as I've had it happen to clients a decade after minimum distribution should have commenced, that's a 50% penalty on 10 straight years. It's been oh. to 25%. And in the case of an IRA, if it is timely corrected, it is reduced to 10% of the required minimum distribution. And I should also note that unlike a lot of penalties, IRS has been pretty generous in not imposing the penalty for failure to take a minimum distribution if you can show any kind of cause. Okay, here's, a, here's another one following up on what we just did, but a little different. Uh, so the act allows employers to rely on employee certification of having a hardship in, in absence of actual knowledge to the contrary, effective for plan years 2023. So as we talk, we haven't really missed anything because uh, we're in the first year of it. All right. So this creates a three-year statute of limitations. That means they can't bother you for three years, right? <laughs> on minimum distribution features and a six-year statute on excess contributions effective December 29th, 2022. So we're not far from that. So that's yeah, what is good about this is not only is the penalty for failure to take a minimum distribution reduced, but IRS generally can only go back three years if you failed to take a minimum distribution. Previously, they could go back uh, indefinitely. Okay, so what do you call that? A three-year look back? Is that the proper term? Yeah, I'd rather use the term three-year statute of limitations on okay. IRS catching your failure <laughs> to take the minimum distribution. All righty. All right, let's go. Um, boy, we've got three, three more slides. I'm sure we can cover that. Um, so slide 17 allows plan amendments increasing participant benefits, this is a good thing, to be made until the extended due date of the tax return effective for 2024 plan years. What does that mean? This is allowing the um, employers who are affected by all of the changes in this act to uh, make their amendments to their plans that they want to because of some, a lot of these provisions are permissive for employers. They're not mandatory. So it's going to require that employers kind of come back together and figure out what they want to change to their plan. And this is allowing them additional time to make those changes. Okay. The employer here doesn't necessarily have to be a full-time job because we, you know, we have a fair number of people that uh, retire and work part-time. Some of them work full-time and self-employed activities uh, and or there might be a spouse that has their own business. So whatever information we have here to the federal ear would also extend to 
non-federal. Sure. Yeah. And note also that uh, if somebody who is retired or semi-retired sets up a single owner LLC in an unincorporated business with no employees, they can um, decide until the original due date of the tax return, essentially April 15th, to do elective deferrals for the preceding year. So there is a lot of flexibility that is designed to uh, make retirement plan contributions more appealing to everyone. And of course, as Social Security comes under scrutiny, uh, can workers depend on uh, getting their Social Security index for the rest of their life? There is uh, emphasis on trying to get people to make more elective deferrals and employers to offer incentives uh, to create these plans. Very good. Um, why don't we take like a two minute break here, three minute break, just because we haven't taken any, give everybody a chance to uh, um, slow down the um, note taking. And then how about that, Andrew? Who do you trust when making your most important decisions? National Institute of Transition Planning has been the trusted source for federal retirement planning, serving new, mid-career, and pre-retirement federal employees for more than 30 years. NITP's subject matter experts bring more than 800 years of collective expertise on federal benefits, financial, transition, and estate planning. Visit NITPinc.com. That's NITPinc.com to sign up for their free monthly newsletter and information about free webinars. Are you at the mid-career stage of your federal career? Or do you plan to retire in the next five years and wonder if you are prepared for retirement? No matter what career stage you are, it's never too early to dot the I's and cross the T's. NITP now offers online open enrollment training to help you understand your federal benefits package and financial planning options with tips and tools to plan and fine-tune your retirement planning goals. Visit NITPINC.com to download the current brochure and calendar. Okay, welcome back. We have three slides left, I believe. <laughs> so we're on slide 38, or did we just cover that? Yeah, we're on uh, point uh, 38. Okay. Uh, at least not. We've covered 38 and 39 and probably the next most important one, and I've already alluded to it, is the one labeled as 41. Uh, historically, uh, and we're not going back that many years to ancient history, that only Roth IRAs that you did not have to begin taking when you hit the required beginning date now age 73. So if you had funds in a Roth, in a, uh, Roth 401k, you had to move them over to a Roth IRA. But effective 2024, Roth 401ks will be treated like Roth IRAs. And there is no minimum distribution requirement during your lifetime. And if it passes to the spouse, no requirement of distribution during the life of your spouse either. So that makes Roth very attractive to a number of people, especially those who are looking to path wealth, uh, pass wealth, tongue twister, to the next generation because uh, they don't need the money. And of course, the Roth would be the last thing you would want to touch unless you need the funds. So 
the more wealthy are able to let it pass dollar for dollar uh, to their children. All right, I'm, I think I've done you a little bit of an injustice here. How does somebody get in touch with you? 301-340-2020. And our website is www.steinsperling.com. Okay, thank you. All righty, so we got a little bit of a time constraint here. So final thoughts, comments? Well, there's one important provision, one particularly important that you didn't cover, and perhaps Sarah will pick up on another one. And that is the provision that beginning in 2024, if you have compensation of over $145,000, from your employer that catch-up elective deferrals will have to be on a Roth basis. Right now, it is your choice. Your regular elective deferrals and your catch-up can either be on a traditional basis so you don't pick up the amount of the elective deferral in income, or it can be on a Roth basis, but beginning in 2024, anything extra because you're over age 50, including that new super catch up for those over age 60 must be on a Roth basis. Well, that's, you know, that, that's nice news. When you, when you go out and uh, do presentations and whatnot, do you often find that people aren't particularly aware? I, I'm not saying overall, but I'm always surprised at the percentage that I can really do that. Yeah, I think that this, um, it's probably going to increase that phenomenon because this provision or this act has so many provisions that, um, are they cover a kind of a wide range but i as dave mentioned i do have one other note that i wanted to mention or highlight rather which is that the secure 2.0 act allows um you know participants in retirement account or retirement plans to take out emergency withdrawals or to um, contribute to emergency savings accounts in certain situations and um there's a lot of different provisions that you know, employers can include in their plans, but one of them is to, um, you know, permit employers that have a defined contribution plan, like a 401k or a TSP, um, to offer non-highly compensated employees a linked emergency savings account. So it's an account that's linked to their retirement account, um, and the employee can contribute to that account uh, up to $2,500 per year on a Roth type basis. So using after tax money, um, and then they can take the money out up to four times per year without incurring any fees. And that can be used for emergency uses. And then contributions to that account are treated like their contributions to the regular retirement account to qualify for matching from the employer. Very good. And let's do this you know, one more. lines, Bob, if we have a minute or so, left are provisions that allow penalty-free withdrawals if you've been the victim of domestic abuse. There are provisions that allow a penalty-free withdrawal uh, if you are in a disaster area as declared by the president. There's a lot of relief provisions in this legislation and when you put it all together it has made the retirement plan law perhaps the most complicated in the internal revenue code wow all right before we um, um close out um cell not cell number website number 
www.steinsperling.com. Phone number 301-340-2020. All righty, great. I guess we have to wrap it up, huh? Andrew? Andrew says yes. What do we have? Two. I think we have two minutes. So let's do the two-minute drill, and then we'll um, we'll have to shut it down. Two-minute drill. Final remarks, please. Yeah. For those individuals uh, who are younger, I can only encourage you to uh, save as much as you possibly can through tax uh, deferred and growth. Uh, because when you look at the effect of compounding, it will allow a tremendous amount to be available for you in your later years. It probably is even more important for a younger person to save through a retirement plan vehicle than an older person. Okay, so I think we should end it here because we're at 10.58. And thank you both. And uh, the contact point again. www.steinsperling.com or call us at 301-340-2020. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew, for watching us. And uh, Sarah, thanks for the maiden voyage. Hope we can do this again. <laughs> yes, me too. Thank you for having me. All righty. Bye-bye and bye-bye listeners. You've been listening to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP and sponsored by WEPA. Please tune in next Monday at 10 a.m. for a topic solely devoted to you, the federal employee. This show can also be heard on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search For Your Benefit. Thanks for listening.